0: This is Mi'kmaq Matters, a podcast about MiGma people, politics, land, and water. Hello, I'm Glenn Wheeler. Welcome to episode 275. Mi'kmaq Matters is made possible with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. One of the biggest stories in Newfoundland and Labrador right now is wind energy. Four bids have been given the go-ahead by the province. Across the water in Nova Scotia, projects are also in the works, including two by Everwind, which also has a proposal for the Buren Peninsula in Newfoundland. Puzzling then that there has not been more media follow-up to a Reuters report of a significant delay in in what proponents like John Risley say are time-sensitive projects. Risley dismissed the Reuters report as inaccurate, even though it was based on information from his own managing director, Sean Leet. The problem, according to Reuters, is that Germany, where the energy will be sold, still has to develop the technology to handle the product. And speaking of Germany the situation has become even more complicated because of a budget crisis in that country that blocks access to funding for green energy projects. So, what does it all mean for Atlantic Canada and for campaigns to stop construction of massive wind turbines? We asked the journalist who has given us the best reporting on the wind-hydrogen story. Joan Baxter of the Halifax Examiner has been asking the tough questions while the rest of the media has been accepting whatever they're fed by the project proponents. I started by asking her about the developer statements. They'll be producing wind to hydrogen by 2025. So, Joan, uh, great to see you again. Uh, we're trying to make sense of this uh, of this Reuters story that came out uh, early this month, uh, talking about a delay in these hydrogen energy plans uh, on the European side, uh, delays um, uh, among prospective buyers uh, uh, involved in uh, developing new technology. And um, I wonder in in Nova Scotia, has there been any reaction to that story? Because presumably this delay would uh, apply to projects in that province also.
1: To my knowledge, uh, there hasn't been a reaction at all. None that I'm aware of. That doesn't mean there hasn't been one, um, but as you know, there there isn't a lot of media left in Nova Scotia, so <laughs> uh, there is a shortage of journalists, I suppose, to try to follow up on that, and they may not be aware of it. Um, last I heard, um, the timeline that Everwind has for the production and export of their hydrogen green ammonia to Germany had not changed, and they were still talking. Last I heard, this is before the article came out, they're still talking about producing 200,000 tons of green ammonia to ship to Germany in the first phase, which will start in 2005. And in 2006, Mm -hmm. they move into phase two. There they're talking about at least a million tons of green ammonia. They have still those offtake MOUs. These are not agreements or contracts. So they have two utility companies in Germany, Uniper and EON which signed MOUs with Everwind for the offtake of 500,000 tons each of this green ammonia. But I have run into a lot of perplexing, contradictory information on what happens to that ammonia when it gets to Germany. Mm. And I think that is reflected also in that Reuters article where Germany says they're not ready yet, they don't have the infrastructure in place. Um, Everwind was adamant to me to the point that they actually accused me once of concluding that the ammonia would be turned back into hydrogen in Germany. Um, Accused me of of concluding that in an article, which I never did, Um, but they seem very adamant that their project is for green ammonia, which would be used for fertilizer production in Germany, so wind energy from Nova Scotia to produce green hydrogen in Nova Scotia, to be converted to green ammonia in Nova Scotia, shipped overseas and then used as ammonia to produce uh, fertilizer. So I contacted Eon and Uniper in Germany, and both of them said, oh no, we expect it. It definitely will be, some of it will be, some of it are all will be turned back into green hydrogen. They're utility companies. They're not companies that need fertilizer. So I'm getting contradictory information. And again, I think it brings us back to the big questions we have about all of these projects. Um, You know, we had Olaf Scholz from Germany, the Chancellor, and Prime Minister Trudeau standing there shaking hands about shipping hydrogen to Germany at a time when they were short of natural gas from Russia. Uh, But it just didn't really ever Make sense. It still hmm. doesn't completely make sense. And when you speak with hydrogen experts, they say it doesn't make thermodynamic sense either.
0: Hmm. Especially because
1: yeah. we're off coal and we're not off coal in Nova Scotia. Yet.
0: Right. And to to add to the Schultz story, uh, a couple of weeks ago, there was a Canada EU summit uh, in St. John's and um, the top EU f- officials were there, as was John Risley. John Risley was in the audience uh, talking about how important hydrogen is. And he is, uh, seems to be disputing um, this Reuters story, which quotes uh, Sean Leet, the managing director of World Energy GH2, of which uh, Risley is a principal. And uh, Risley is saying uh, that um, the news report in which Sean Leet was uh, quoted um, is not accurate and says we'll be a few months late, but, much, but not much later than that. Uh, coincidentally, the same story that, The Reuters story appeared you uh, in the Halifax Examiner had your interview with Michael Liebreich, uh, who's been uh, on Mi'kmaq Matters, uh, a commentator and um, on hydrogen. And uh, once again, to you, expressing skepticism of the technical viability of uh, these uh, wind to hydrogen to ammonia back to hydrogen uh, schemes. Uh, I wonder if we can see this uh, delay mentioned in the Reuters story as uh, Michael Liebreich's uh, predictions coming true.
1: I mean, I wouldn't, that would be pure speculation on my part, but certainly he raised some extremely important points in the interview that I did with him. Um, One, he said, (laughs) for these companies, the reason these companies are putting on, there's so much hype, And there's so much publicity and so much glowing talk about hydrogen as being a silver bullet or a solution for everything is that the proponents of these projects need financing. There are subsidies, many subsidies for them being offered by the federal government. And in the United States, they're being offered big subsidies as well from the um, Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA. So there's his suggestion to me is that these are all subsidy hoovers, (laughs) that they're scooping up subsidies and layering them. But those subsidies are still not enough to finance the scale of wind farms that need to be developed The hydrogen plants, the ammonia plants, um, he said, there's no way that those subsidies are going to cover it, nor on the German side, are the subsidies enough to cover the cost gap between regular regular hydrogen, which is made using natural gas, fossil fossil gas, I'll call it, and green hydrogen, because the cost of the green hydrogen is just simply exorbitant. So his feeling is, is a lot of this hype. They have to push this out because they're desperate to get financing, and if they don't get financing, if they don't have a firm contract with an offtake company in Europe, they're having trouble getting the financing. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a chicken and egg thing for them. So they're saying, oh, yeah, we're going to be producing this hydrogen. We've got all the financings for here. But unless they have those offtake contracts, they're in trouble. Now, in the Reuters article, it suggested that they don't have the offtake agreements yet because the German side also isn't prepared to take all of this green ammonia. So the whole thing a skeptic or somebody who's really cynical. And I'd say Michael (laughs) Liebreich is somewhat skeptical of all of this is that this is another kind of bubble Mm. Um, and how it's all going to work is a very big question. And another person I think I've been listening to also um, is, is Paul Martin from the hydrogen coalition. And he's pointed out, to me, as has Michael Liebreich, that the energy efficiency of using the wind energy to produce the hydrogen, convert it to ammonia, ship it overseas, and then convert it back to hydrogen, you're getting 20% mm. of the energy that went into producing that green hydrogen. And at a time when we are so desperate for this renewable, clean, renewable energy to clean our grids, they don't, this is not what they see as the priority. For Nova Scotia, we still have a grid that's almost half fossil fuels. So why would we use all of this incredible new wind energy that has not been built yet, by the way, to produce hydrogen to ship overseas when we, we need it so desperately at home to clean our grid? And that's what Lieb and Paul Martin have said to me. And it's a very inefficient way to use green energy. Hmm is their take on it however i think a lot of the bluster this is my opinion (laughs) it looks to me like a lot of the bluster you're hearing and certainly risley saying oh no there's not that much of a delay would be because they are trying very hard to convince big financial institutions to fund their projects
0: Mm -hmm. and and what does this mean for the uh construction of the wind turbines. You and the examiner have been covering um, the uh, story in Colchester County where uh, a lot of turbines are going up and there has been opposition uh, in that area to them. The uh, local politicians I see have changed their mind on the project now and are prepared to give it the go-ahead. Um, but of course, for, for ordinary people uh, in these areas, uh, that's the, that's their uh, uh thought top of mind, am I going to be uh, sitting next to a 600 foot uh, wind turbine? So what's the um, what's the scheduling of that? Uh, Would, could they start building the turbines before these contractual matters are sorted? I wouldn't think so, because those are expensive matters. And you know, if the financing doesn't come true, they'll be stuck with these uh, turbines with nothing, nothing to do with them.
1: That's a that's definitely a question. If I were you, I would I would put to Everwind CEO and founder Trent Vitchie. Um, th- they're saying that those the wind farm two of the wind farms, uh, which account for seventy four of those giant turbines, and in, in both in Colchester County, a third one called Bear Lake, which is on the corner of West hants and Halifax counties, um, that's another sixteen giant turbines. Those three wind projects or whatever when says will fuel phase one of their project, which would produce the 200,000 tons of green ammonia for export. Um, we're right now coming up to the end of 2023. It is extremely difficult to imagine that those things could be financed and built by early 2025, which is when they would need to be built. I mean, there are supply chain issues. There is, Preparation of the landscape. Only two of them have been submitted for environmental assessment. Um, We're quite sure that the government, provincial government of Nova Scotia, being very gung-ho on hydrogen, probably is going to give those two a green light. And then the third one, Windy Ridge, which is the really big one, hasn't been submitted yet, but it's only a Class A environmental assessment, which is like 30, 45 days. However, then they still have to finance them, as you say, and it's hard to see how they can finance them um, unless they have a firm offtake contract for the ammonia they're going to produce. Or is Nova Scotia power going to, would they change the whole project, dispense with the hydrogen altogether and have Nova Scotia power buy all that energy? It's hard to see that they would do that. And it's hard to see how they would finance those wind turbines because those are expensive projects. They're talking about a billion dollar project in Colchester County alone. So that's a lot of money. Um, bank,
0: uh, as we, as those of us who tried to get a mortgage, uh, will know the bank is going to want to see the finances. So I uh, mm-hmm. think they're going to want to see some signed contracts.
1: Yeah. Now the federal government um, actually export development, Canada, um, November 17th, the day after the Colchester Municipal Council um, agreed to, to allow this thing to go ahead, they had been voting on whether or not they would complete their countywide land use strategy and planning act, which would have delayed this whole thing for a year, but they changed their minds <laughs> And they voted to not to cause a delay for this big project. The day after that happened, um, Minister, Federal Minister of Housing, and also in charge of ACOA, Sean Fraser went to Port Hawkesbury with Trent Fitchie of Everwind and announced that Export Development Canada was going to provide financing of $125 million for Everwind. That's still... I mean, they haven't begun to build their plants in Point Tupper, Cape Breton. They haven't begun that. As far as I know, I was told by Everwind spokespeople at an open house in October that they've maybe turned some sod, but they haven't started any construction yet, nor have they started construction of the wind farms, obviously, because they don't even have environmental assessments done. So $125 million, even if it is approved, doesn't go that far for mm. a process of this magnitude. So everybody is still trying to people who are asking questions are still trying to put together the figures and see how it's going to work. And I think the most graphic description I heard of the whole notion of this wind energy to hydrogen to ammonia ship it to Europe switch it back into hydrogen came from my, Michael Liebreich in the article, and he excused himself for the terminology, but he called it a thermodynamics turd or a crime against thermodynamics because of the it's so inefficient. It's such an inefficient way to use green energy. Mm. But it doesn't seem to be deterring the politicians and a lot of the public. Um, and his suggestion was is that too few people, including... Reporters like myself um, don't have enough STEM or science, technology, engineering, and math backgrounds, mm. so it's easy for you know these these moneyed interests to put their ideas across. But I've noticed that very few of the proponents have STEM background either. They're mostly people who came from the financial sector.
0: So. Right and the and the politicians uh, uh who are the soft touches uh here uh, also don't have the uh the stem background so um, you know include those uh, they're no better off uh, than we reporters so uh, i guess we're all at the same level in terms of our of our technical expertise mm-hmm. um but but speaking of politicians i mean i guess the other area of uncertainty here is uh federal politics in Canada um Regardless of what you think about Pierre Polyevre, he might be prime minister um, uh, before the the Europeans get the technical uh issues sorted out if they if they ever do um and um, <clears throat> I wonder uh what uh how that plays in here uh you've suggested that the uh, the fossil fuel industry uh, uh, is a player here in the background, despite its uh, the, the green uh, uh, imaging of these projects. And, uh, of course, Paul is close to that industry. But um, he has said critical things about uh, subsidies and government waste and all that sort of thing. So would you see any change in direction from a conservative government different from what we've seen uh, with the liberals,
1: that's very difficult to say. I mean, we have a progressive conservative government in Nova Scotia, and they're about as pro hydrogen as you can get. Um, so they've they've really I hate to say drunk the Kool Aid because it suggests that you know there's something fraudulent <laughs> about the hydrogen, but it's just not a very clear direction. So certainly the provincial government in Nova Scotia is very, very pro-hydrogen. So I'm not sure it breaks down along political party lines that way. Um, There's another factor here that comes into play on the German side is that During COVID, the German government borrowed, I can't remember the exact figure, I think it was 60 billion um, euros or something to that effect. And that was going to be going to a lot of these subsidies and a lot of green and environmental programs in Germany, including really, really good ones like fixing up their train system. But also that was going to be accounting for a lot of the budgeting of the subsidies that would be available to make up the difference, the price gap between gray hydrogen, and green hydrogen. Well, that budget, um, that was defeated two weeks ago. The government was told that they couldn't spend that money. Mm. So it's not clear that the ger- on the German side, there will be the subsidies that would are necessary to make this a viable uh, project for, for a transition even on the German side. And that's a, that's a piece of, of information that, of course, didn't really make the news here in Canada. But there are German journalists also following this story and trying to see <laughs> what's behind it and who is of interest. It wasn't actually, I mean, I did not suggest that you know the, the oil and gas industry is using green hydrogen as a Trojan horse. That came from the corporate observatory in Europe, which pointed out that you will never be able to have enough green energy to replace all the hydrogen that we use now and hydrogen is extremely important for a few things one is for steel making and for petrochemicals and as they mentioned the ammonia is very important in making fertilizer so we do use a lot of hydrogen and we need it it's a really important material but to replace it and I'm not going to get the figure right here Michael Liebreich said that to replace all the hydrogen gray hydrogen made with fossil fuel right now, we would have to use every single wind turbine that's ever been built on the planet. That we simply will never be able to produce the hydrogen that is needed with green energy. But by creating and pushing this so-called hydrogen economy and making people believe it's good for heating houses, which apparently it isn't, or for small transport and so on and so forth, They make it sound like hydrogen is the solution. And therefore, you create a demand for it and a huge market for it. And that means that the fossil fuel produced hydrogen will always have a market because they expand its use. But as Michael Liebreich said, look at his hydrogen ladder. Look at the uses where really it makes sense to use hydrogen. And those should be the priorities for any green hydrogen and nothing else.
0: Joan Baxter of the Halifax Examiner. And that's it for the program. Mi'kmaq Matters is made possible with listener support. Become a patron at patreon.com slash Mi'kmaq Matters. The Mi'kmaq Matters team is producer Allison Baker, researcher Hilary McGinnis, and correspondent Greg Janes. This is Glenn Wheeler saying, M